Um, I want to throw out a question for us that I want us to consider at the end of study together, but I want to throw out it now so you have time to ponder on it a little bit before uh, we get to the very end. So this is the question. Would you say you relate to God more as a servant to his master or as a child to his or her father? Guys, I have an answer in your head? Good. I can. Would you say that you relate more to God as a servant to his master or as a child to his or her father? Well, one more time. We've left Paul in danger. So let's turn to Acts 22. And let's go get him, okay? You guys remember last week? He said something. <laughs> yeah, God could save Gentiles too. He had them. They were listening. These Jews in Jerusalem, they didn't like what Paul was saying, but he was reasoning with them. But the second he said, hey, God loves all people, even these Gentiles, <laughs> then they had a problem with him. So that's where we kind of pick up here this morning. In verse 1 it says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. I, I wish I could have been there. <laughs> Don't you guys wish you could have saw this go down? And he says, for you sit to judge me according to the law. And you, do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, do you revile God's high priest? And then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So in verse 1, I've lived in good conscience before God. Don't you want to be able to say that? I think we all want to be, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, okay? We can have a clear conscience with God because of what he's done. He has made us new right? He's transformed us. But when it says it here, if you actually study it out and look into the Greek, it literally says he's lived as a citizen with God. Think about that for a second. Meaning I am not guilty, okay? I, I, you're wrong in judging me. The charges, they're baseless, is what Paul is saying to them. And then in verse 2, the high priest's actions here really unwarranted that they're illegal, Innocent until proven guilty, correct? That's how the Jews rolled. Well, what's going on with Paul? <laughs> There's an oral tradition. Willem Barclay brought this out. And he, he shared that he who strikes the cheek of an Israelite strikes, as it were, the glory of God. That's something the Jews held to. They believed. And then in verse 3, God will strike you. He's being prophetic here. It's Paul speaking back to them. And as this was fulfilled only a few years later when he was first deposed and then assassinated. And he calls the high priest, you whitewashed wall. Okay, contrasting a decent you know, exterior with an uh, unclean interior. 
okay? You don't have a clue. You're, you're missing it. You're dirty. <laughs> you know, you, you look good on the outside, but what's going on on the inside? You're just a whitewashed wall. And then the last part of verse 3 says, for you sit. So Paul basically calls him a stinking hypocrite here. So my question is, I'm reading this, is he in some apostolic flesh <laughs> at this point? You know, what's going on in his head um, speaking this way? Um, verse 5, he didn't know, didn't he? Did he know who he was speaking to? Did he know Ananias? Did he know that Ananias was the high priest? Uh, he, he, didn't he? We don't know. Well, there's a couple scenarios I came up with. First of all, maybe Paul didn't know his uh, tormentor's um, identity because of his defective vision, which we talked about in Scripture. Maybe he couldn't see the guy. Maybe he had no idea what was, you know, who it was speaking. Uh, second thing, maybe Paul was speaking in irony, saying he didn't act like a high priest. So how could he recognize him as such as one when he's totally out of character? Maybe thirdly, a possibility is Ananias wasn't wearing his priestly garments. It also probable Paul did not know Ananias uh, personally because he actually hadn't been in contact with the Sanhedrin for 20 years at this point now in the book of Acts. In another one, maybe Paul just completely lost his cool. That's probably what I would have done. <laughs> you know, who knows? You know, maybe there's a failure here in self-control. I know you guys have it all together. The fruits of the Spirit are just flowing from your lives. You have self-control all the time. At any rate, we see Paul, he, his acknowledgement of error was prompt, wasn't it? That's one thing I do appreciate. And he recognized the position of the high priest, even if he had no respect you know, for the priest as a person. Ananias' pro-Roman sentiments, he was assassinated by anti-Roman Jewish, uh, Jewish revolutionaries um, at the outbreak of the first revolt against the Romans in 66 AD. So a little background on him. Also, the response we see in verse 5, the second part of verse 5 here, upon learning that he was high priest, Paul immediately apologizes, right? Exodus 22, 28 as his basis. Also, we see in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20, do not curse the king even in your thought. Wow. We have a liberal um, agenda that has taken over the news. Um, if you don't see that and know that, uh, think. Uh, use your brain. <laughs> but anyways, they're telling us what to think. You know, and yeah, we got a guy with orange hair who's our king, president today. But even, I can think back as long as I can remember, okay, we've always been told to look down, okay, to disgrace, to speak poorly, to go against every political leader I've ever known him in this country in which I live. I mean, that's what I've been told to do. I've never seen the news tell me to respect honor the king, where I have my God telling me in the scriptures, that's what you should do. Okay. Now, is there any perfect man? <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, but we are to pray for, and we are to honor the king. And Paul knew this. So, in a heated moment, Paul said the wrong thing 
to the wrong person. He lost his opportunity for a fair trial by doing it. And most importantly, blown his chance to explain the gospel. So the result, the situation here gets ugly. It turns ugly on him. And Paul now has to think fast. What I got to do to stay alive here? Now, we're going to read verses 6 to 10, and this is going to be a flashpoint, okay? And I'll explain what that is in a second, but let's read first, verse 6. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees party arose, and they protested, saying, We find no evil in this man. But if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And then verse 10 tells us now, when there arose this great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the barracks. Okay, so you guys got the picture of what's going on here. Now let me explain to you what a flashpoint is. It's a critical uh, stage in some process, event, or situation at which action, change, or violence will occur. So this is the point Paul is at, okay? Something's going to happen. Something's going to go down. So this strategic statement polarizes the council, at least for a moment, and takes the heat off of Paul. Now, verse 8, they disagreed over three main points. The resurrection, angels, and the existence of spirits. The Pharisees believed in those things. The Sadducees did not. Okay? They didn't believe in eternal life, afterlife, the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. Okay? Sadducee. Easy way to remember that. Um, now, Pharisees, radically conservative. We had the Sadducees. They're theological liberals. So, Paul seems to be sitting in the cell in guilt's ashes. Okay, explosive anger. Then at just the right moment, who comes? The Lord comes to him. I love that, guys. We need to catch. Paul right here. Oh, man, I've blown it. I've messed up. Okay, I'm, I, I wanted to get to Rome. I really did. I'm here in Jerusalem and they got me. It's over. I'm done. Look what they did to Jesus. Look what they've done to the other apostles. What was I thinking? I'm getting it now. But the Lord shows up. And I love that. So grief to grace here. Look at verse 11. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So, uh, a cool breeze of grace. Jesus blew away the stagnant memories of Paul's failure. 
Chuck Swindoll said that. Let me say that again. The cool breeze of grace, Jesus blew away the stagnant memories of Paul's failures. Don't you love that? That was good. Let me share one more by you, Chuck. He had some good stuff on this chapter. Um, he said, only the grace of God can carve a roadway of peace through a person's wilderness of guilt, a coarse river through a desert of despair. And isn't that what our God does? Right at the right time, the right moment. Some of us have been crying out, God, where are you? Don't you see what's shaking out? Don't you see what's happening? This is going to go down right now, Lord. Where are you? But he always shows up at the right time. You guys can jot down Isaiah 43 too. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And then in the same chapter, 43, verse 19, the second part of it, it says this. See, I'm doing a new thing. Do you guys know that God's in the business of doing new things? He's making all things new. When a person's born again of the Spirit of God, what? He's a new creation in Christ. Okay? Heaven and earth are going to pass away. Why? Because God's going to make a new heaven and earth. <laughs> he's going to come back. He's going to make all things. It's wonderful what he's doing. But anyways, he says, I make a new thing. Now it springs up. And do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. That's what he's up to. And the problem is I don't think we perceive it, brothers and sisters. We think it's past or it's over. It's done. No. God's doing things you don't even have a clue of right now. So Paul had the best lawyer available. Okay, Paul knew better than all that if Christ is for you, who can be against you? Actually, I think he wrote that. So <laughs> why did he write that? Because he knew that. He understood that, right? So after two days of great strain, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, this vision came with this beautiful provision. So the following night, we're told Christ comes in our darkest hour, okay? The following night, Jesus shows up. The Lord stood by him with no rebuke, simply a word of encouragement. I love that. Oftentimes I feel like it would be the Lord to come and say, why'd you do that, son? You knew better. Why'd you have to get so hot-headed? Why'd you have to lose your cool? I ask you just to love. Follow my example. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. Okay? He comes and he encourages. Be of good cheer. I love that. You should underline that. It's actually in the present imperative if you look into it. It suggests he began to despond. Give us hope. That's exactly what Jesus does. And he tells him, you have testified of me in Jerusalem, the Lord endorses Paul's work in his decision to go to Jerusalem. Some people said he should have never went. The Lord says, no, <laughs> you testified of me. You did what I asked you to do. So must you bear witness at Rome. So whatever the past, now came experience of the Lord's presence, acknowledgement of his testimony at Jerusalem and assurance of the full, you know, Fulfillment of his long-cherished hope about Rome. But I guys, guys, I want you also to note the pressure was not relieved 
but the worker was supported and strengthened. Let me say that again. The pressure was not relieved, but the worker was supported and strengthened. So it's not, Lord, take my load, but help me carry my load. So the master was leading his servant on, thus reassured, and Paul was able to take courage. Just after World War II, there were some American soldiers who found a little cellar where Jews were being held, okay, a hideout. Written on the wall uh, was one that had written this. Listen carefully. I believe in the sun, even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it's not shown. I believe in God, even when I cannot see him work. Wow. That you had some faith. That's trust. And I want you guys to trust this. God is present and at work through all your circumstances. And just when you need him the most, he's going to be there. So where has he used you to testify in the past? And most importantly, where is he saying to go now? Don't bask in yesterday's glory. Where is he calling you now? That's what matters. So you guys ready to read about the conspiracy here? Man, people loved Paul. Let's take a look here. Verse 12. And it was that day some of the Jews banded together, and they bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. And they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and he entered the barracks and he told Paul. And then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and he brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. And he has something to say to you. And then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask or that ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to him. For more than 40 of them, they lie in wait for him. And when, or men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise or the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. So, verses 12 to 14, we got 40 angry dudes, right? 
I mean, for a man to say he's not going to eat <laughs> till something, that's serious business, okay? So these radical Jews, they're on this hunger strike, right? So the defeat was a combo, okay, of supernatural grace and natural means here. And only the Lord could work that out. You understand? So Paul's nephew, he happened to live in the city, right? By providence of God, he discovered the Jewish plot. So we never know what friend or relative or even enemy of God's uh, that God will use to help us. God can use anybody, right? Even an unlikely eavesdropper. So God causing both Jews and Romans to carry out his divine purpose concerning Paul. I love it. So it's amazing. Watch how God pulled this all off. First, the otherwise unknown nephew just happened to overhear the plot. Really? Secondly, he somehow entered a heavily guarded barracks and got to talk to Paul. Really? Thirdly, a centurion was willing to take him to the commander. You're willing to take me? Really? Fourthly, the busy commander actually listened to him right away and believed what he said. And then fifthly, then the commander ordered a small army to escort Paul out of town under cover of darkness. Really? Only God, right? He was the one orchestrating all of this. So when God makes a promise, he keeps it with remarkable style. See, we learn two important truths here. The grace of God can overshadow any guilt within us and the power of God can overcome any plot against us. So are you wandering in a wilderness of guilt? Are you lost in a desert of despair? Then find cool springs of God's grace and power. Let's take a look at the great escape. Verse 23 and he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers. Not two, 200. Get this. And 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysus to the most excellent Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and he was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that, this, uh, that he was a Roman. And when I was wanted, or I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for this man, I sent immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. And then the soldiers, as they were commanded, they took Paul and they brought him by night to Antipatris. And the next day they left the horsemen, to go on with him and return to the barracks. And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Sicilia, 
Uh, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's peritorium. Um, so back to verses 23 and 24 here. This detachment of 470 soldiers prepared to transport Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea at 9 p.m. A 65-mile journey is about to take place. You see, Paul's escort was extra- went to extraordinary lengths to ensure the safety of his trip. Okay? Nothing was going to happen. Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's a promise. You see, God was behind the scenes all along. In the verse 21, Antipartus here, uh, where the land is flat and open, okay, and there was this dangerous ambush left behind. The 70 horsemen, they go back to Jerusalem. Verse 35, in Caesarea, Paul's kept in prison, we're told, in Herod's uh, praetorium, okay, the headquarters there, that would be the palace. Comfortable quarters because Paul's rank as a Roman citizen and his reputation as a religious leader. So would you say that you relate more to God as a servant to his master or as a child to his or her father? You see, the servant is accepted and appreciated on the basis of what he does the child on the basis of who he is. A servant starts the day anxious and worried, wondering if his work is really going to please his master. The child rests in the secure love of the family. The servant is accepted because of his workmanship. The son or daughter because of their relationship. The servant is accepted because of productivity and performance. The child belongs because of his position with that person. I want us to close by turning to Galatians 4 together this morning. Galatians 4 4. Before we read, you guys know the importance of the gospel. There's an urgency for the gospel today. There always has been, (laughs) but more so than ever before. There's a war going on. Um, One thing I do take from our news, um, as liberal as it's become, A lot of things are okay. Political correctness. Uh, We have to lie to be politically correct. Can't really tell people what we think. And it seems like everything's okay and everything goes except Jesus. That is one common thread that I do see. And 
a time and age which we are to be tolerant of all things. It's a nice buzzword, tolerance. We're tolerant of everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an urgency, and we're the only ones that are going to be able to share that, guys, because it's not going to find its way onto the news. They don't like to report good things. They want to keep us in fear, and it's crippling us. There's more people anxious, depressed today than ever before. If you kind of step back and look at the big picture, why? We've got social media, a lot of fear. We grew up in a day and age, a lot of you have young children. You're scared to let your kids go off on their own. I didn't grow up that way. Mom and dad just let us go, have fun. Things are different today than it is you know, 20, 30 years ago. Things are changing quickly. Why? Because Satan has had his way and he's instilled fear into our lives in ways I don't think we've, at least recent, uh, recent history. And there's something, guys, that we have been given, been entrusted with, been called to be ambassadors, to be salt and light. And we need to share. We need to share. Because no one else is doing it. No one else is doing it. I just think over the last few months, the gospel reality outside of my church family, it's not there. The world doesn't care. They're not seeking. They're not asking questions. They're attacking and making excuses. And we have a privilege as God's kids to stand in the truth. It's one thing I've taken from Paul. That's why Paul's one of my heroes. I love the guy. He's a great example. He wanted to finish well. He was going to stand his ground till the day he died. He wanted people to know Jesus. And one of those things, guys, I struggle with personally is the question that I posed before you guys this morning. Am I a child or a servant? I study the scriptures. I'm born again. I love my dad. I can't wait to see him face to face. I can't wait to get home. That's my heart's desire. But I also, as I study the scriptures, we have a calling. We are called to go into this world to preach the gospel. We are to be serving the kingdom in such a manner. We are to be making discipleship. So I'm really torn between servanthood and being a child. But I know in the truth of study is I recognize who I am in Christ. My identity is his son. Service is just a byproduct. I'm not trying to serve to become his child, to find favor from my God. And if we ever get that backwards, it's not going to work correctly. You're probably not saved. <laughs> because once we come to know the Lord, that's when we are able to be free. And to be free what he's asked us to be. And what has he asked us to be? Well, some of you guys might be, well, this is my occupation. I'm called to do this or to do that. You know? But who are you? You're a child of God. doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> what matters is who you are. And then as a result of your doings in life, what's the byproduct of it? Well, hopefully it's being salt and light in whatever you're doing. So well, this passage we find here in Galatians 4, it's something we need to hold to 
as believers. Let's look at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We were all under the law, guys. That we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God has given us all things, guys. And some of us need to realize this truth, stand in this truth, and receive this truth. You're his kid. He loves you. He is for you. And sometimes I feel like my brothers and sisters, even myself at times, are crippled <laughs> because we have stinking thinking. <laughs> We're not just resting in the truth that we have an Abba Daddy, a God who loves us. We are adopted just as his own son. <laughs> he loves us just as he loves Christ. Think about that, guys. He sees you as perfect, as sinless. He just loves you the way you are. I don't get it, you know? You guys ever look at another person's family and their dealings with their kids and you think they're just blind? Like, do you not see your kid? He's a little turd. Like, <laughs> discipline him, you know? Do something before it's too late, you know? I think we've all done that, you know? But praise God, parents are like that because <laughs> that's how God sees us. But he actually has done something to help us. He's not just blind. No, he's done everything possible. He's given everything needed for us that we may walk with him, have fellowship with him to be about his business, to be free to do that. And this morning, guys, I want you to be encouraged in that. I look at Paul's life, and it's been fun going through the book of Acts with you guys, especially since we've gotten in the life of Paul. The journeys that he's been on, the way he's been able to step out. Has it all been easy? No, he's gone through it. But he kept going for it. Why? Because he understood this truth, which he wrote in Galatians chapter 4 here. <laughs> I'm adopted into God's family. I'm his kid. This isn't my home. I'm just passing through. I'm an ambassador here. I'm a representative of my dad. And while I'm here, I want to do it well. I want to finish well. And I want to encourage you guys to do it. Okay, God just stirred in my heart big time this last week, just an urgency for the gospel. It's something that's always there, but I love when God renews that in my heart. It's just like, yeah, I got caught up into my stuff, my issues, things not working out my way. You know, perspective is who cares? There's a whole lot of people that don't even have a clue who Jesus is and how much he loves them and how they can be forgiven of their sins, how they can be saved from hell and have eternal life. And we have those answers, guys. And people aren't going to come here and ask us. I don't know. I, I would imagine that the people visiting this morning, they, they have a faith in God. That's probably why they came this morning. It's very, it doesn't happen very often that a non-believer walks through the doors just asking. And I wish we did. I wish we would have dragged our neighbors here today. Hey, neighbor. <laughs> Get dressed. We're going somewhere. I'll buy you breakfast too. <laughs> Whatever, you know. But the thing is, we need to bring the word to them. 
bring the good news. So I want to encourage you, son and daughter of the Most High, okay? Ask the Lord to place an urgency in your heart, okay? As we see the day approaching, the Lord is coming soon. We don't know when it's going to happen, but there's a whole lot of people that need to hear, they need to know. Let me tell you what, guys. We have a platform to speak, you know? Social media, I think, is killing us, but we also can use it for good. That's one thing I know God likes to redeem things, Okay. Who cares about politics? People need to know about Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me, please? God, it's so cool that we get to call you Father, Daddy, Abba because of what you have done. Lord, that if anyone would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart, that they would be saved. God, that they get to be your kid, that adoption is there, and you desire, Father, that none would perish. You want all to be in your family. Lord, in the reality is, we're not all your children. And there's seven billion plus people upon this planet that we know that you love, that you died for. God, that need to hear the good news that they may say, yeah, I want to be a part of this family. I want to be in heaven for all time with this heavenly Father that loves me so much, who cares for me the way he does. And you are a good dad. I do ask, Lord, that you'd stir us up, Father, and equip us with the gospel, that we'd be able to go forth and be teaching others, Father, discipling others, sharing your word, the hope that we have in you, Jesus. We thank you for the reality of the good news. Father, I thank you, Lord, that even today, your word is going forth all over the place. People are gathering together like we are here. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit, Father, would just do a work in our day. I think so many of us have given up and have bought into the reality that it's just too late. Satan has too big of a stronghold. But we know that our God is bigger. You're so much bigger than all of that that you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything we could ask or even think. Lord, so we ask today that you would do a great thing in this time in history, in our lives, Lord, through us individually, corporately, as a church family here. There's so many people that need to hear. So I pray that you give us boldness. Just as the Apostle Paul asked for prayer for boldness, we would pray the same today, God. God, strengthen us. Help us to be courageous. May you find us trustworthy and helpful to the causes of your kingdom. We pray in your name. Amen. 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 So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Amen? Amen.